The Legendarium Podcast is brought to you by, by you. So please visit patreon.com slash legendarium to, to support the show. But for now, welcome to The Legendarium. I learned that the phrase, I got the vapors, meant that a woman's got gas. <laughs> <laughs> Which is basically their way of like telling the other girls, you know, Heads up. <laughs> I'm, about, I'm about to stank this place up. Oh, mama. Welcome, everybody, to the Legendarium Podcast, episode number 182. This is Craig Hanks, your host. And over there, he's so lame. If he were a crocheting, he'd be shot. It's Ken Johnson. If you've never been this lame, then you don't know what it's like. And I'm always looking for him across the river, but knowing how much everyone hates it, I should probably start looking under it. It's Ryan Bruckman. Mm. I don't think that's where you'd want to hide my body. <laughs> He's got the vapors. Uh, okay, throwback to jokes that you didn't hear on the episode. Nothing like a good inside joke. It's a yeah, we're, great radio. We're really bad at this. Someday. Very, very bad at this. Uh, okay, so today is Name of the Wind Part 3. It's chapters something to the end. What chapter was it? 87? 67, 67 to the end. 67 to the end. Um, and so this is uh, the episode for, for those who are new to us through King Killer Chronicles. If you're not familiar with our pattern, we discussed the first third of the book, then the second third of the book. And then this episode, we will discuss the last third. But the, the entire book uh, is fair game. We'll talk about the book as a whole at this point. Uh, so just a heads up. Obviously, spoilers abound, blah, blah, blah. But you haven't gotten to this point if you don't know about that. So I'm not too worried about spoilers. Uh, Ken, quick question before we get there. We're not ready for it yet, but did you prepare a recap? Um, if by recap you mean did I write a big three-minute script that synopsizes the uh, stuff that we just read, then um, no. Did we just ruin you? You did one <laughs> and we ripped into you for it. Yep, I'm, I'm just... You Did we destroy all of your self-confidence? My... My uh, mo- my motivation is just shot. Yeah, well, all no, right. it's not. That's not true. But I'll I'll uh, get back on the horse for for wise man's fear. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, uh, for today, before we get to name of the wind, obviously a little bit of housekeeping. Go to Patreon.com/slash/Legendarium to support the show. Go to the Legendarium.reddit.com to join in the conversation there, and uh, you can search us out on Instagram for some reason. The experiment is ongoing. You might as well. We're there. I mean, uh, I guess um, <laughs> we have 69 followers and the teenager in me would like to keep it there. <laughs> uh, but uh, but you're all welcome. I, I don't really do a lot there. I, I Somebody just said you need to get on Instagram. So there I am. It was I just I literally was I was at a design conference in Boston a couple weeks ago and I was blown away. I knew Instagram was a big deal to photographers and designers uh-huh. and creatives and things like that. But and foodies. It is I I did not realize just how much weight that that medium carries. So. I know. I know. I hate it so much. <laughs> it's I feel like it's um it's a weird version of Twitter um which I yeah. also hate but for very different reasons, but it kind of has a similar it, it carries a similar uh weight of hate in my mind so anyway i i i'm mostly speaking in jest but 
I do hate Twitter. <laughs> uh, every time I log in there, I just want to hurt like the earth. <laughs> so, but uh, Twitter did give me my my new favorite source of potential uh, outreach to new listeners. Uh, do you know Dan Wells? Oh yeah, as uh, the author of "I Am Not a Serial Killer," among many many other things. Uh, but uh, he was reaching out, trying to put together an Overwatch PC team to do uh, like broadcasts for charity, mm-hmm. and so yeah. I I offered my services. So I've been boning up on Overwatch, which I am not good at, which really just makes for a, a great cast, as far as I'm concerned. So. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like who those else? old Conan episodes. You got to have someone who can be your Leroy <laughs> Jenkins. <laughs> exactly. You know who else is a huge Overwatch fan is uh, Larry Korea. Oh, yeah, that's yeah. true. So, Oh, boy, I've been reading about him this week. Yeah, that's, uh, that's been that's fun. That's the thing. I feel like we need to devote an entire episode to understanding what's going on in that world, but this is not that episode. Let's yeah. talk about Name of the Wind. Uh, today is part three. I do have a recap, Ken. I figured you might. Good. See, it it's, wasn't it wasn't that that ruined me. It was yours was so good for part one that uh-huh. I just I felt like I couldn't measure up. Uh-huh. Uh, okay, so here's the recap for part three after chapter sixty seven. Quoth uh, slays a dragon. Some girl is with him for most of it. Ambrose breaks Quoth's loot, and Quoth calls the name of the wind. Elodin takes Quoth under his wing. Quoth sneaks into the archives and does not have sex with Fella. The end. Yeah. Oh, and and a uh, 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 shadow man, a skin skinny, hopper, a skin hopper, a skinny man, slender man attacks. Slender man gets into the inn. gets into the end and attacks everybody. Yeah. No, I uh, we will get into this in a moment, but uh, just like with the other with the other uh, sections that we've talked about, not a lot of events. Although this is definitely the most eventful of the three sections that we've read so far uh but still you know it's really easy to recap because this book is all about the characters and not so much about the events yeah um anyway ryan i know you've read this a few times already so i'll kick it to you ken uh this is your first time through name of the wind yes and you got to the end of the book uh i don't need final final thoughts but i am curious what your thoughts are now that you've finished i uh i am now interested I he's <laughs> and, and what I what I mean by that is um, Patrick Rothfuss writes very well, and it's clear that he puts a lot of craft into the way he writes and the way he describes his characters. Not it, the story is not epic. the The fantasy is not epic to me. It, it's it's very good, and now. I'm getting interested in the characters, but he has built them through 600 pages. He's, he's written them very well in, in terms of the, the way he's described them and the, the flowery use of prose that he, he's used. But uh, particularly the end of this book, when Bast shows up in Chronicler's room at the end of the night and really weighs, puts the, the fear of God in him and explains exactly what the gravity of the situation is now i am interested in the story too right you know so many questions well, yeah, all of a sudden, what's going on so now i'm very much in invested in this this is this is a different story like you said this is not the regular epic fantasy that we're used to right. it's a much smaller more focused story the way that like uh, spider-man homecoming <laughs> sure sure yeah. yes uh, that's, I not? know there's at least three people who I just ended up on their hit list, but <laughs> in, in comparison, I'm not saying that it's the same quality or anything like that. I'm saying that 
in the sense of of scope of danger and and stakes and things like that this is a very localized story the world isn't going to end right now based on like that we're aware of like yeah this isn't the hordes of the undead coming over the ridge or you know sauron's army coming out of the right, like, right. this is we're following kvoth figuring out who he is that makes him this legend of a man later on that has caused a war which we don't this, know exactly that I, I think it was at the end of the last uh, episode in the reddit thread after that um there was a reddit user honor is dead 211 <laughs> shout out um but this person quoted what what they said is roth's best quote and i'm inclined to probably agree and it kind of goes along with what we're talking about here he says george rr R. martin will break your heart by killing your favorite character i'll break your heart by taking his library card <laughs> like that's that's the type of story that we're dealing with and uh, and that's you know that's what you're talking about ken this yeah. is not the same thing as you know death and destruction everywhere the world is coming to an end and unless dalinar can unite all three realms we're all going to you know uh be annihilated forever right. this is not that story and i will say it's it's kind of refreshing that it's not that kind of story because going into it just since everything that we've covered has been epic and it's been uh series you know, and, and grand scheme type stuff. It, it, it's going into this, I was kind of expecting, okay, that's going to be kind of the same thing. This is going to be something that's building to something grand. And it probably is. I mean, if we, sorry, I'm not going to go there. But it, it, it probably is. But for now, all it is is the story of a man. And I like it. I like that it doesn't have much bigger stakes. Yeah, yeah. I and thought it, every urge in my body to to not go to this is the story of a good <laughs> you just did it i know you I, just did it i, I had to i you had to the need urge to learn got to too strong fight harder you don't fight your urges as much as I do. <laughs> yikes. yikes okay so um <laughs> this let, is how useful i'm gonna be tonight guys i'm just <laughs> I'm telling you that this is where my mind's at i so ryan you missed last week mm -hmm. and uh, but now you're back and now I know why last week was one of the best episodes we've ever done. Oh my gosh. Uh, oh, we're back. Okay, so apparently the hardware gods do not like it when I make fun of Ryan somehow. Uh, and, and I don't know what happened there. I have been there. kind to computers in my life so that when the robotic <laughs> overlords take over, I will be a well-cared-for pet. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, something shut down. Sorry, we're back. Uh, all you heard was a weird little glitch, but that was five minutes of our lives. Thanks, electronics. <laughs> we um, hope you enjoyed the hold music. Anyway, so uh, go listen to Leaf by Niggle. It was amazing because Ryan wasn't on it. And please don't shut my computer down again, overlords. <laughs> so where were we? I don't even know what we were talking about. How did we get here? Who you are am asking I? Ryan about something. What is truth? Um, Ryan... I don't remember what I was talking about. So do you have anything from this section that you actually just wanted to talk about as far as the events, the characters, or whatever? Um, so can I say that this actually, on my first read-through, and even on my second read-through of this, of this story, I really like how unexpected the end was for me. Because knowing how far we had to go, I kept expecting, like, Kvothe has to, he's got to be out of school by the end of this book. He's got to be kicked out. Like, 
Oh, you were hoping for that or waiting for that? I was like, I figured... On the, your first time through? Or first this? time, like, first okay. time through, I figured, okay, this book is let's give him wizard powers at school and then we'll send him out on the road and let him explore these wizard powers with someone else. Go like, find the Horcruxes. Exactly. Right. Um, and even though there have been times when I have been weary of being at whatever we call this Hogwarts The version, university. The university. Um even though there are times that I'm weird that I've been weary about being there, I am glad he hasn't left yet because it does also give me it, it allows me to feel better about his knowledge base, like to see that develop. Even though it is accelerated compared to everything else, like at least I I can see the process of him being in classes and and things. It's not just a natural knack for everything. It's just you're really good at what you go into and study. Yeah, that's uh, something that is maybe underappreciated in the real world is that intelligence, what we perceive as intelligence is uh, sometimes it's a natural gift, uh, but more often than not, it's hard work. The the person who looks smarter or more talented than you is probably the person who had the discipline to put the time into it, right? Right. And so that's what he's doing. Now... uh, in this book, maybe we can get into the whole Mary Sue issue that people have, um, but uh, he does seem to have cognitive abilities above and beyond what others do. Absolutely. Um, sure. But he, uh, on top of that, and maybe more importantly, he has uh, the drive and the discipline and the desire to obtain all of this knowledge, not just the gift to be able to. Right. So uh, anyway, let's talk about the Mary Sue thing. Uh, because we've had a whole book with him now. We talked about it a little bit last time, and I think I just mentioned, like, I don't really care because I like uh, I, I like reading people who I can uh, aspire to be like. Uh, but, Ken, where are you coming down on this at this I, point? I didn't mind as Maybe we much. should, will, will you define, define, Mary Sue define the Mary Sue thing for, for well, us? Well, a Mary Sue, and it's kind of, the definition's kind of morphed over the time, but the textbook definition of a Mary Sue textbook is um, a character who is basically the embodiment of the author's wish for f- fulfillment. Uh, they're good at everything. They, in, in the original term, or original uh, genesis of the Mary Sue, they're the the, the background person who falls in love with the main character who is critical in 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 uh, solving the the main uh, plot and, and receives preferential yeah, treatment they receive and, preferential treatment and it's kind of morphed into well this is a character that's good at everything and doesn't have to struggle for anything and it's kind of been made into a, a throwaway type term basically the, it's yeah, like the, anybody who was good at at anything or everything is automatically termed a Mary Sue, and it's not quite accurate anymore. The but. the current uh, embodiment of that is Ray from from uh, Force Star Awakens, Wars, yeah, from the new Star Wars. Uh, I I I am not endorsing this point of view, but uh, a lot of people just did not like the character of Ray because oh, she's a Mary Sue, and she just what you said, she's right. good at everything, and she's so nice to everybody all the time, and everything goes her way, and blah blah blah. Um, so she's the embodiment of that. And so the question here is whether Quoth is that as he's telling his own story, which in that definition, you can certainly argue because he is good. He's naturally good at everything or he picks up things with very little effort. He's, you, he knows you exactly what to say. You mentioned something a few moments ago that it's uh, something about 
author's wish fulfillment. Right. That was the original. And it, so I so. first read this book, gosh, when did it come out? 2007. 2007. So I probably read it in like 2008, 2009, when it, you know, it had really been picking up steam and sure. people were talking about it a lot. And I, I picked it up and read it. And I was, I was quite a bit younger. I didn't know, all, I didn't know all the Mary Sue terms and all, you know, uh, right. all that stuff. But I still did wonder if, gosh, does this guy have a hard on for his guitar or something? <laughs> like, what is going mm-hmm. on? Um, so I, I did pick up on the possibility of this sort of thing. Now, of maybe I, Patrick Rothfuss is a, that, a yeah, closet that he's going, wannabe musician. Right, right. Yeah. Or, um, or man, this guy really had a tough time with the ladies growing up, and but now his character is, uh, is a you know, constantly getting yeah. invited into girls' bedrooms and you know, spooning on the top of the rock and all this <laughs> stuff, like, um, <laughs> which reminds me of that, <laughs> that fantastic line from Friends when, uh, Ross is telling about his supposed sexual conquest, and he says, "Oh well." And then we cuddled, and Joey goes, "And Joey goes, oh, you cuddled? Oh, how many times?" <laughs> uh, anyway. Spooning on the top of the rock is going to be the first track on the Legendarium album, by the way, soundtrack album. <laughs> Spooning on the rock of the bay. Yeah. Uh, okay, so what what were we even talking about? The Mary Sue Mary stuff. Sue the Mary Sue stuff. Uh, so anyway, I did pick up on that stuff, but now as I am reading this with a few more years under my belt, I feel much more positively disposed toward uh, Patrick Rothfuss and his uh, his portrayal of Quoth sure. in the book. So I, I don't really... I guess I can see where people are coming from. I just don't have the issue I, that some people do. Ryan, where are you at? I don't want I don't want to rehash the narration point of things, but go back, take a, a moment, and honestly listen to any story that you tell about yourself to someone else, like, and tell me you don't you, that you may not in some ways make yourself a Mary Sue. Oh sure, this is Kavoth telling his story. I would not be surprised at all. The fact that he's we're talking about, you know, whether he's reliable or not. I don't really care. Like, but the idea being that he's telling his own story. There's a good chance that he's going to make himself a bit of a Mary Sue right. in his own story, the way that we all naturally do. If you're trying to tell an, a story to impress or to, <laughs> to showcase something, sure. um, that doesn't mean necessarily that you are without, you know, flaw and fault and things like that. And I think that this is I, one of my favorite things about this and this story is the fact that it doesn't matter whether Kvothe's story is accurate or not because that story that's being told is being told the way that someone would tell a story. And I appreciate that. Like, if he comes back and and it turns out this whole time, like, oh, well, this is only all, it's full of half-truths and everything else, it doesn't matter because it was a well-told story. And you know what? I'm okay with that. And I'm not talking like Rothfuss telling it. I'm saying that it's... Kvothe's telling of the story written by Rothfuss is good. Well, and it goes to a couple of things in the story that that are, are reasons why it doesn't bother me so much. And one is that he he is naturally and unabashedly a a, a showman and a a performer, and so he's gonna tell he he's gonna tell a story with with embellishments and with flowery stuff like that. I mean, that's just way he's gonna be. And, and the fact that he picks things up or that he's he's naturally good at things is set up early in the story as in 
as to describe it, he is good at these. He picks things up. He, so it's not unnatural based on the story itself that he would, that he would be good at things. Hang on a second. My mic is not working anymore. Uh, you guys, seriously, this is the worst, but we're back again. It's not uh, even Friday the 13th. This is this is the most technically challenging episode we've ever had. Uh, what were we even talking about? Maybe we should go back and see. We were talking about Mary Sue's. Uh, I'm done with that because we okay. really... I think we, really we, we really hashed it. We got that last before, episode. Yeah. So, uh, as long as we're all feeling good about that. Uh, I wanted to bring up something else, though, if you don't mind. And that is... Uh, a bullet point of mine, and it's uh, something that I was glad to see in this episode. Although I will say, hang on, uh, will you crank me up a little bit, Ryan? Uh, input six. That should probably do it there. Uh, okay, so there is one thing that I wanted to bring up, a bullet point of mine, which is uh, something, a, a glimpse we get into the powers or the effects of the Chandrian, which is ostensibly what this story is all about, is yeah. uh, the Chandrian. He says so in the first part of the story. Um, there's a moment, we we brushed by this moment a, l- a little bit in the first bit when his parents are murdered and he leans on the wagon wheel and it's all rusted through. And then there's another moment when they're now they're at the Mothin farm. He goes the, Chandrian hunting. The house is kind of falling apart. Um, and when he's with Denna, there's a moment when they go to uh, a pump, like a water pump. Right. And he says, I grabbed the handle, leaned my weight against it, and staggered as it snapped off at the base. I stared at the broken pump handle. It was rusted through to the center, crumbling away in gritty sheets of dust. And this is really interesting to me because uh, the sign of the evil Chandrian in this case is corruption. Now, when we say the word corruption, we often think of like um, the petty criminal acts of politicians or whatever, that sort of thing. But that's not really what corruption means. Corruption uh, is about um, things returning to their natural state. And so when you have uh, when you have metal that rusts, it it is corrupted. And it's uh, so it's being reclaimed by the entropic forces of. Nature and all this stuff. Nature is reclaiming its own, and this is the uh, this is the sign of evil in this story. Yes, that the Chandrian have been here. Now, things breaking down makes sense for the consequences of the bad guys, but why? Because if you think about it, it I mean, it makes sense intuitively to us, but at the same time, we often uh, and well, I wouldn't say often. We relentlessly uh, idealize nature. We romanticize it, and with good reason. I mean, I get that nature is nature, and it's a beautiful thing, and all that stuff. Uh, but the implication here is that a return to nature is a defeat of the good by the evil. So the the bad guys come, and nature starts reclaiming things. I just found this interesting. I I feel like there's a really deep philosophical point that somebody could make about this i don't know that i'm that person uh but i wanted to throw it out there to see if there were any thoughts that you guys had on the subject um i have two but my first one is that i don't entirely agree with your definition of corruption well i mean it's 
the definition of corruption. I don't think so. Well, it's not fully. I mean, well, there could I be mean, a... look it up. I, I did. I literally just did on my phone <laughs> and because I did not want to come into this guns blazing and being like, I'm an idiot. No. Um, the, here it says the process by which something is changed from its original use or original form to one that is, uh, in this one it says er considered erroneous or debased. Um, I'm sure there's more other options there. Well, it's also worth how things are, are broken down or, or decayed or... But it's it's coming from, it, it's not a return to nature, it's taking from its current form and altering it to a, a different form. In this case, corrupting being a, a less desired state, usually. Um, because entropy, I 100% agree with. Like that is what entropy is. It's the reduction to the it, the base materials there. Where versus corruption being an alteration to a lesser state. Well, and in this um, one, if you want to, if I mean, if you take it to mean decay or rot, you know, clearly it's literally doing. It, it's basically taking the things and and running them through their entire life cycle at light speed and you know using it up. That that's almost what it feels like, which is not an uncommon. Uh, a non-common uh, story effect, you know, when you're talking about bad guys either. The only reason that I bring that up and why that matters is the idea of these, this symbol of the Chandrian or this, this re response being that things life cycle is accelerated or that it is taken back to nature or whatever is a natural course. And the Chandrian's forces, I don't believe are natural. And so right. it is taking it and forcing it into a lesser desired state. Um, is why I agree yet disagree because I need that slight variation in definition to make it fit for me. The other thought I have is the Chandrian. I am I am akin. I am very much in the mindset of believing that these people are like the four horsemen of the apocalypse. That each that they carry with them each something that is unique to them the famine the pestilence the exactly whatever the seven so horsemen the idea that the that they saw blue fire or that this uh well pump handle has corrupted through everything is a symbol that there the chandrian may have been there but it may not be all of them it could have been like unless they always ride together like it could be that there's just one nearby or there's you know like, a small grouping or something like the that. way ducks fly yes <laughs> Sorry, when you said when you said all right together, I went right back to my Mighty Ducks days. Okay, sorry, but that's so. My thought is that identifying those symbols will start to allow you to identify that there is a Chandrian near, if not all of them. Because the initial when I first read through this, the first couple times, I'm like blue fire, blue fire. That's the symbol, blue fire. Anytime we see blue fire, that's where they all are. But then starting to identify that there are other aspects of things that are going on, right? Um, inside the, the and now we know that blue fire can also be caused by the Dracus, the, mm -hmm. yeah. Which, as far as we know, has nothing to do with the Chandrian, right? Right. So, um, so I think that it's an idea that there's potential, there are potential breadcrumbs that have been left for us yeah. that we may not know because we haven't seen, we don't know what the individual effects of each individual Chandrian are. In my opinion, that could be totally erroneous, um, but. That, that's that's the trail that I'm on right now. That is an interesting take. How many Chandrian were um, present when he when his family was slaughtered? All seven. So, yeah. I mean, and there was the blue fire, the corrupting, the corrupted uh, the wagon, wagon wheel. wheel. Yeah. Um, honestly, I, that might be a chapter worth going back and rereading 
to identify and kind of see maybe there are some other breadcrumbs in that chapter of other things that both interact with other oh, I, I have that, no doubt there are lots of other little things that we start to realize and then we'll go through and realize that oh hey when Kvothe goes on this journey and we start to see the rusted lamp or the rusted pump or we start to see <clears throat> the flowers that die or whatever are going on we know that there's a chandrian nearby corruption that's interesting noun <laughs> archaic okay. archaic decay putrefaction Okay. That's what it means, Ryan. Decay and putrefaction is not returned to earth. Yes, that's exactly what it is. Oh my gosh, we're going to have we're going to have a, gonna have a oh. battle of definitions here. Look, it just accept that I'm smarter than you and everything will be all right. I've never argued that point. <laughs> I just have to take the battles like where I can get. Uh, okay, maybe we should move on though. Rot or decompose through the action of bacteria or fungi, the process of rotting or decomposition. <laughs> yes. Yeah. You should see these okay. two looking at each other, right. just staring. At I'm should... not saying that it's not rotting, that it's not fall, <laughs> that it's not crumbling to a baser thing. I'm saying that it's not natural. Well, look, whatever. It's I'm done with this. I will destroy you later in our Facebook conversation. That was like some moronic telepathic stare throwdown right there. Uh, <laughs> all right. It so, was a battle of of half wills. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay, so do you guys have bullet points you want to bring up? Because I have more, but I'll wait. Um, do, Let me open up my Kindle app again. I I did have... Uh, whoa. Don't worry about it. It's fine. Don't worry. <laughs> it happens all the time. I told you you need to get that robotic arm looked at. He's more machine now than man. This is, this is honestly, this is the hardest uh, technical episode we've ever done. I was going to say one in five microphones. All yeah. right. Oh, while we're on the Chandrian sort of... Okay. I do have another point to bring up here um, that's in this same area because he's chasing because there's been a fire scene up there and he learns that the reason that the Chandrian appeared is because the uh, one of the the bride's father, I believe, yeah. found something. Oh, right. A thing. And he found something. What's in the box? <laughs> and it's a uh, it's a vase. It's a piece of pottery. Oh, that's yes. right. We did get a description of it from that the has, little girl. Yeah, and the girl explains that it has the pictures of these seven people or whatever, uh, which leads him us to believe that this is original information about the Chandrian. And I think that I'm starting to piece uh, things together that when we get to his father who was researching and calling and learning about the Chandrian and their, their, perhaps their names and their original stories and everything about them along that line for a story... They decide we can't have that. And now we've had the same thing. This is a piece of pottery that's that could you could learn something about them from. Right. They are trying to wipe themselves out of the memory of the world. And it says like they don't want anyone to be able to know anything about them because if they can be learned about, then someone could have power over they them. Can, they can name them. Well, right. yeah. exactly. Yeah. And as long as they can avoid that, they will be safe. And I think that's probably what the Amir are, why the Amir are so dangerous is because they probably have this sort of information that gives them the power of naming over people like the Chandrian because they've been around that long. Well, they're really the, so. the paladins and Temerant, aren't they? I mean, that's sure. basically what they feel like, the, the Amir. I don't remember. They're just, they, I lost the reference. They feel like the holy knights that are oh, chasing yeah. the, yes, yes. the evil Chandrian and that's their mission in life. So, but 
Um, Haliax, right? Is the one. He's the one that has. He's the one with the the, the no face, the smoky no face. Yeah, that has, old guy that has the power over the Chandrian right now, or at least over Cinder. Right. So yeah, true. Um, Which okay. is the only other than Halifax is the only Chandrian that has been named thus far. Yes. Uh, oh, Haliax and Cinder. Yeah. Now there was something. He's. Uh, no, that's gonna wait for book two. I have a vague, vague recollection from book two, and that's not relevant here, so I will not bring it up. Uh, okay, Ken, did you have a bullet point you wanted to bring up? Um, I no, no, not not particularly. Wow. Let, me, let me think about it. I, well, I've got a couple of things, but they're more more speculation or questions going forward, so I figure okay. we'll save them. All right. So I wanted to talk about Pat Rothfuss's tick. Oh. Now, okay. the authors that we've uh, read so far, we often find their ticks. And with Robert Jordan, it was really easy. You know, the uh, all the phrases he would use, the braid tugging and the arm folding and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sanderson's no different. He has his own ticks. Um, I there was one. Oh gosh, I've got to ask Kyle now. Why couldn't he be here today? Jerk. He identified one of Sanderson's words. It's a word that he uses all the time, and now I can't remember what it was. But it doesn't matter right now. Uh, anyway, Pat Rothfuss has a tick. And his is this. If this were a story, dot, 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 go on with this, the description of what a story would be like. But this is not a story. Yeah. And so that's not what happened. Here's the real truth. Here's how things really go. And he does this over and over and over and over again. And Maybe it's on purpose. I mean, you could maybe chalk this up to, well, this is what this is how he wants Quoth to tell his story. I was going to say, most of them are in Kvothe's uh, narration. Well, sure, so. sure. But um, anyway, it, but this is definitely something that he re- returns to often. Yeah. And I find it annoying, um, but only, f- not only for, but mostly for the repetitive nature of it because it feels like a tick. It feels like Nynaeve tugging her braid. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. and so it's annoying the crap out of me at this point so I, I get what he's trying to do I think I think he's trying to mitigate the feeling of fiction he's trying to it, it's almost like breaking the fourth wall uh, in an effort to get you to um, uh, what am I trying to say to not believe that this is going to be the same story we, we brought this up earlier in this episode where how this is not the same epic fantasy that you're used to reading this is different and it's almost like this is patrick rothfuss through quoth trying desperately to get us to understand that That this this is is not the same this is different and so i think i get what he's trying to do with that uh but i don't like it i don't enjoy it and i and i don't buy it i think that uh, maybe by the time we get to the end of book three that this will turn out to be a much more conventional story than we all thought sure and if it's not, then it probably is going to suck. Every so. time he did that, I just pictured him saying next, if you aren't a smug, a smug douche, I don't expect you to understand. That's just every time. <laughs> Thanks, Kavoth, you smug douche. I don't know. So uh, are there any little things? I, I do want to get to the stuff that we really like about his writing so far, but are there any little things that have annoyed you guys? Um, most of the things that annoyed me were, were things like... Um, he he seemed awfully good at talking to adults for a 15 year old, you know, stuff like that. Um, he's the only 15 year old who knows how to talk to a, a grown up and knows always the perfect thing to say. 
it, he just happens to accidentally come across the name one sock while haggling for a black horse with one gray leg. I mean, stuff like that. Like, come on. I mean, there's, there's knowing exactly what to say. And then there's just stumbling into the perfect situation that is no matter how much you want to suspend believability is, is just a bridge too far and makes you shake your head. And, and there are a couple of those in, in this book that I just went, oh, come on. I mean, I, I get that he is good at everything. I'm I, I get that he picks up everything, but still, you know, Ryan. Um, one of the things that mo a lot of people praise about his writing actually kind of bothers me a little bit. Um, and it's the, the repetition of threes. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Everything. <laughs> yeah. Every description of every branch, every, uh, every song that he sings, every time an event happens, it, uh, there's always three pieces of description for any given moment in the book. Right? Yeah, I and I, uh, for me, there are times when when it absolutely makes sense, and Quoth is painting a beautiful picture and everything, and it, it's masterfully done. And when he does those, I my hat tips to you, sir, for your fine work. But there are times when I'm like, I just don't care how Denna smells right now <laughs> i don't know right. well, i don't care how she how she uh smells and her odor and her scent yeah yeah i i'm okay with you just saying i caught her i caught her air on the breeze and it i can't think of anything appropriate <laughs> to say right now <laughs> and it warmed the cockles of my heart <laughs> uh okay but i think i get i see what you're getting at it's not um you could tone you well, could tone that down without diminishing the value and power of the book. He does the same thing when he shows up at Fellas and she's she answers the door and nothing but a sheet and he's like, "Oh, hey." Yeah. You know, that sheet makes her awfully curvy, you know. Um there's oh gosh, I honestly if this had been brought up more in I I think we mentioned it in sections 1 and 2, but if we had talked about it more, I have so many notes in my Kindle edition where I'd highlighted those things mm -hmm. with a bit of an eye roll, uh, but I'm not going to go back and hunt them down now. Uh, well, But the thing is, like you said, at times it works really, really well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But um, it, it's kind of a similar complaint with, uh, I mean, pick your author, pick any author. They have modes of writing and it really tickles some people's fancy and it tickles it over and over and over again. And that's fine. Um, but I think for you and me, there were times when it was appropriate, and then there were times when it was like, okay, dude, let's move on. Right. This is one of those things, and I'm curious if he has a standard by which he holds these. Like, if if I'm speaking about these sort of things, I'm I have to write it in the three step setup here. Right. Um, and if he does, and he is applying that, that's fine. Yeah, you might. It might be worth tweaking that a little bit right um but if he doesn't have that set up then that's why i say you could diminish the amount of times that it's done and still not diminish the the book as a whole yeah and the writing because i don't think anyone is going to read this book and go you know what in this section if you would have described it three times i would have been so much happier <laughs> i don't think anyone's going to come out like that so especially you know as you're writing the third book and as you're concerned you know the concerns about giving the fans what they want and all these things this is a chance for you to say you know what I don't have to fret about this quite as much as I might be fretting about this because I do a good job of it when, you know, when I'm doing it, I just don't need to necessarily do it as much. There's, we, we talked in previous episodes about the, the 
effect of his poetry, as we might call it. Mm-hmm. And I can't remember if we brought up the whole uh, Sanderson's comparison to stained glass and how, you know, so Sanderson says, I, I try to write just through a window so you can see the scene and my writing is the window and you just see right through it and you don't notice it. Whereas right. Rothfuss writes stained glass windows and they are works of art in themselves and there's a story past them too, but it's uh, but in at, large part, it's about looking at the window. Yeah. Um, but I feel like there are parts of this story, large chunks of this story where he's not making stained glass. And and it's almost like I can see I can see the wheels turning. I can see him at his writing desk, um, and just chugging through whole sections of the book. Um, and then he gets to a moment, and maybe this is on a rewrite, and he's self-editing something. He's like, I really want to punch this section up, and so he inserts this sort of thing. You know, it, maybe it's the descriptions of three, maybe it's the just the very vivid imagery of one thing or another. But I can I can see the sections where he's trying so so hard. Where the wheels are turning. Yeah, yeah. and I'm not. Uh, this is not me criticizing and saying how dare you or that uh, that this is a bad way to write a book. I am not saying that. But what I'm saying is that uh, my preference is for the clear glass, and so it was refreshing to me. It it, it was um, how shall I say it? It was unconsciously refreshing to me to move through the sections where he just goes and he just tells the story. And then it was very jarring when I got to a moment where it was kind of obvious to me that he was trying to spruce things up a bit, if that makes sense. And I would, I I think that we should note this and take and put a pin in it. And remember this along with a couple other things we've talked about moving into book two and see if he gets any better about it in the next book. Um, Or if it gets worse, kind of, the comparison, he's, we've only got these two and a couple of novellas yeah. type things to compare uh, on his writing. He's still a pretty relatively, relatively new author. Just because he's successful doesn't mean he's not, he's established. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, or practiced. Yeah. Yeah. And he can get better. Yeah. And so being able to kind of gauge that and say, does he realize that after the success of his first book, that those elements that made it successful, you know, does he balance them better in book two? Right. Um, and is it, and personally, I, I having read, you know, having read book two, like I, my inclination is that he's, he's getting better every time he writes. Okay. Nice. Which is real, what you want from an author. Sorry. Go ahead. Real quick. Um, we're at 48 minutes. Will you third knob from the left? Will you twist it to match the others above it? Third knob, third knob. Yeah, to the left, match the ones above it. So down to four. Keep going. Okay, right there. That's probably good. Yeah, I I was being compressed too much, and so okay. a lot of my stuff wasn't coming through. Okay. Anyway, um, where was I? Okay. What were you about to say? Um, I don't know. I wasn't yeah. saying anything. Well, I mean, I got a bullet point. I so this so much for the things that kind of annoy us a little bit or I, that's even probably too strong a word just the the stuff that wasn't necessarily our style yeah. uh, or our speed i do want to move on to stuff that worked really really well because i highlighted a few passages that i just thought were dynamite and uh was curious if you guys did the same or mm-hmm. if you want to just agree with me and uh say that i'm right about everything all the time you, right you, ryan yeah uh okay. i will never agree to that <laughs> never <laughs> Uh, there was, okay, so this was more just a kind of a humorous line that I thought was great. 
and then I'll move on to a more consequential one. Um, it, so right after the episode with the Dracus, and he's killed Dracus, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Dracus, he's killed the Dracus, and he falls off the, the roof of the church and all this stuff. Using drugs, by the way. Yes, which I really enjoyed. <laughs> I thought that section was great. Um, he says, I woke up in a bed, in a room, in an inn. More than that was not immediately clear to me. It felt exactly like someone had hit me in the head with a church. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I, I chuckled. And it's this, this book is not one that has had me chuckling much. And mm-hmm. so when I did, I was like, oh, good job. That was great. Uh, but okay, so a passage that I really loved that I thought was so wonderfully written and so wonderfully told, more importantly, um, was the moment when Ambrose breaks his loot uh, and both oh. calls the name of the wind and like messes up Ambrose and then he ends up in this kind of weird funk, this weird psychic funk. Yes. And they his friends take him to Kilvin's office and then Elodin shows up and they uh, and Elodin kind of calls him back. Mm-hmm. And this whole section is just uh, just fantastic and I, I wanted to read it I, this this is uh, I apologize if this is too much it's like three or four paragraphs uh, but I just really enjoyed it he um, he spoke and the storm stilled I found a place to land there is a game all children try at some time or another you fling your arms and spin round and round watching as the world blurs first you are disoriented but if you continue to spin long enough the world revolve resolves itself and you are no longer dizzy as you spin with the world blurring around you. Then you stop, and the world lurches into regular shape. The dizziness strikes you like a thunderclap. Everything lurches, moves, the world tilts around you. That is what happened when Elodin stilled the storm in my head. Suddenly, violently dizzy, I cried out and raised my hands to keep myself from falling sideways, falling upward, falling inward. There are those three that you love so much, Ryan. Uh, I felt arms catch me as my feet tangled in... Uh, in the stool and I began to topple to the floor it was terrifying but it faded by the time I recovered Elodin was gone what a passage yeah. and and that was... and I could I could have read the whole you know page or two leading up to that it was all really good that was just uh, one little moment that I decided to bring out um, I loved that bit what did you guys love the uh, connected to that um, shortly after that happens both ends up uh, because he called the wind. Yep. Um, he ends yep. up becoming a Rilar. Um And Elodin is talking to him about the most, the biggest, most powerful magic system in this series that we have dealt with about three times. The the naming the naming, the naming thing. Yeah. Um. The the concept of naming, and I think we've touched on this a little bit, but for the first time we get an actual like. Full, not a an abstract lesson uh, through a load, and we get a very direct. This is what naming is. Um, uh, let's see. He's trying to uh, talk to him about naming. Quoth's being difficult about it, um, uh, and he says, "What do you mean by blue? Describe it." I struggled for a moment and failed. So, blue is a name. It's a word, and words are pale shadows of forgotten names. As names have power, words have power. Words can light fires in the minds of men. Words can wring tears from the hardest hearts. There are seven words that will make a person love you. There are ten words that will break a strong man's will. But a word is nothing but a painting of fire. 
A name is the fire itself. It's the most clear that we've been because up to this point, honestly, the, the idea of naming is that there's some secret word out there that once you, once you can hear it, once you can see it, you can say this secret word and that word will give you power over this element. Right. And what Elodin's saying here is no, the, what, the, what the power is, the fire, like it is the name. And in order for you to control that, you need to be able to speak that. You need to be able to speak fire. You need to be able to speak wind. You need to, like, it, it takes it a step above just this magic keyword. It's the idea that, um, and, and I mean, this, this is maybe cheapening it a little bit, but it's the idea of, uh, and, and anybody who's been through school recognizes this, that there's book learning and there's street learning. Right. You know, however you want to put it, you can know a thing. Um, you can read in a textbook all about what the inside of a mammal is and how it works and what all the parts are. But then you go to science class, and uh, Ryan will remember this because we had the same science <laughs> class. But then you go and you and you dissect the baby pigs right. or whatever. Um, that's it's a different thing knowing through. Um, it, real true understanding not just uh not just rote learning but true understanding through experience um and through firsthand knowledge it's uh it's a very different thing well and there's uh, i i can't talk about it yet because it's there it's to come but there's more clarity that comes down the road in terms of naming and, and what you have to deal with but the concept of how much you have to be able to understand and process to name something is remarkable like it's it is an understanding that you cannot get in conscious thought all right well, i don't i'm, I, I'm, I'm excited to for learn this. more i yeah so am i because i do not remember hardly anything about book two mm-hmm. um i remember that there that nick podell the guy that does the audiobook mm-hmm. gave the certain people a really weird accent and that there's a bunch of free loving going on, um, but that's <laughs> that's about as much as I retained. Um, anyway, so now that we are kind of up to that point, Ken, you said you had some predictions to make. Well, not necessarily predictions, but but questions. Um, one of the parts that got me from this uh, last section was at, at the very end when Bast sneaks into Chronicler's room and really puts the fear of of you know demon fairies in him. Uh, saying uh, basically he went out of his way to get chronicler here to help Kavoth remember who he was and i really doesn't just say i need you to help him remember it's if you don't help him i am going to you know kill you and burn down your entire family and everything that you've ever stood for and you know really and all of a sudden it became apparent to me that this is this relationship between Bast and Kavoth is really a much bigger deal than we've been led to believe so far. I mean, clearly there was something there earlier, but this is the first moment that he's saying coming up in the next two books, you're going to see why this is such a big deal. And I'm very interested to see what happens when he meets Bast for the first time and how their story develops uh, as it goes along. Because, I mean, we don't know very much about Bast. I guess there's a, there's a side story out there, right? Uh, that's about Bast. Is that? Uh, yes. Uh, uh, did he write it already? Or he was? I can't remember. He was going to, or he has one of the other. One, because he's got two short two stories. One is about 
Ari and one is about is from is Bast. Right. Okay. Um, so that should there. be interesting. Um, Ryan, do you have uh, any? Well, you you've read this, so maybe I should just ask you for final thoughts. Well, there there's an element that to the framing story that I am very interested to see how far Quoth has uh, gone backwards, how far he's how far he's corrupted. Nice, um, nice. There you go. Uh, because you have the scene where the demon comes in. It's not. It's still not quite right, by the way. But sure. I know. <laughs> I'm using it with irony or sarcasm. Sarcasm. Or That's what that. Um, but there's the moment when the demon comes in and Kvoth throws, he slams some alcohol down, creates this pathway to the demon, like gets him oh, yeah, or whatever, yeah. Yeah. puts his two fingers down in the liquor, and then starts muttering, trying to do some sympathy, and fails. Performance Evidently, issues. yeah. And he he's unable to, to achieve what, from the story we have been reading one, this as One far, in five sympathists. Right, like, right. yeah. Exactly. He he was able to do that on a level so far above anyone else in the story that for him to not be able to do something like that now either means the time in which the time the amount of time that's passed since he's had to do it last is quite large, or he has really let himself go. Can I elaborate and, on that point? No. Okay. And we we're dealing with the drunk. Like, are we dealing with the the you know, the drunken alley master that the, the, the hero comes to find, like Bast is trying to revive this right, right, right. drunken, you know, Inigo Montoya from Princess Bride. <laughs> right. Sure. Yes. But yes, yes, you can elaborate from there. But that's what I was just saying. Was, I want to know how far down he slid on the ladder. Yeah. Well, I do too. Because when it happened, it, reading it, I thought, oh, why can't he do sympathy anymore? And then when, when Bast, you know, talking to Chronicler, he says he won't do sympathy or play music anymore. So it made me go, okay, so why won't he? Is, is it that he can't, that he has sympathetic impotence or is, is he, has he made a choice that he won't do it? That's a really impressive tongue twister, Ken. Thank you. Sympathetic, sympathetic impotence. impotence. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, maybe we should end with that. No, I do have a final thought. Though. That That's track two, by the way, on the legendarium soundtrack. Sympathetic impotence. Yeah. <laughs> Or maybe that should just be the name of the soundtrack. I hope you're keeping we're, track of this. We're in trouble because the first one's about spooning on the rock <laughs> and the second on the one's rock. about sympathetic <laughs> impotence. We are like 50-year-old white American football uh, ad like you should material. Give, give that one up. Wait uh, until, wait until we get to... I don't know where that was going. Wait until we get to Faye Viagra like, or something. Said, well, that's what all the Viagra ads are. Yep. They're all in, during football <laughs> games for 50 and, you know, 40, 50-year-old white American males. That's right. Um... Okay, so I first of all, I do feel like the ending came in a weird spot. It was if this if this were a story, <laughs> but it's not a story, right? But if this were a regular book, it would be like, oh, Quoth killed the dragon and saved the day, um, and then you know maybe a little uh, post credit scene, Avengers style, and sure. you kind of you know feed into the next story. But that's where the story ends. But in this one, he kind of he defeats the dragon and then goes back to the university and then there's like five or six chapters and and then it just stops and uh, anyway yeah. so it was an odd place it felt like an odd place to end the book uh but i definitely it it does leave you excited for book two but it, so here's what i want to talk about now that i've reached the end of the book and again this is my second time through um but it's it's been a, a long long time so i feel almost like a first-time reader 
But uh, I just want to make a quick comparison to Honeycomb, uh, if you'll allow me to do so. The cereal? The breakfast cereal. Uh, So for those of you who do not live in the greatest country in the world because we have Honeycomb, it's a breakfast cereal. And uh, anyway, the ending of this book made me think, okay, so this story is like, it's like Honeycomb. Um, I was, I, I liked this book. I liked it. I like it a lot, actually. I'm engaged by the character of Quoth, um, even though I don't care even one little bit right now whether he's lying or not. I, I don't care about that. But I like him. I like Denna. I like uh, Willem and Sim. I, I like all the characters that we're with. I yeah. especially like Kilvin. Yes. He's maybe my favorite side character right now. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so I, I'm enjoying all these people. And I enjoy the story, but the story is the honeycomb for me. And what I mean by that is that the, the, so the same way that I eat honeycomb, it is a delivery system for strawberries. I cut up strawberries into my honeycomb and that is, that is the, uh, that, that's what I'm there for. That's the main attraction in my breakfast cereal. Or, you know, maybe it's like Lucky Charms and you just. It's the chip to your salsa. Exactly. Yes. It's the blue, it's the blue corn chip that allows me to get hummus into my mouth. Uh, I just want hummus in my mouth. Um, and anyway, so that's what the story is. I, uh, to be honest, I don't really care about the university. I barely care about um, the the stuff you brought up, Ken. You know, like, oh, yeah. who is best, and what what's he doing here? Sure. I I don't really care about all the other stuff. I'm just enjoying being with the characters. Honestly, they are my hummus. They are my strawberries. And the storyline is my delivery system for it. Anyway, thought, that's, that's kind of what, how I feel about it at this point. I'm just glad you didn't say it was like Honeycomb in that it seems like a good idea at the time until you get finished with it. Oh, no, I love Honeycomb. All right. Yeah, anyway. I mean, we kind of just glossed over it, but he does get expelled. At some point. Yes. Well, he, he gets expelled. Oh, here, yeah, right. And then he gets revoked. When he says that I, I was expelled from the university before anyone, before most people were admitted. Yeah, he got expelled. They just. Yeah, that's true. I, this is one of those moments where I, I had to take a minute and decide, do I, does this bother me or not? And I've decided on the side, on the, the side of not enough to make a big deal above it. This clever plot loophole. But yeah, it, it's, he's supposed to be expelled from the university. You've been expelled, but we're going to take well, the punishment portion of it off. Be, there's the line he, where he, we're he says revoke that this suspension. Ambrose is going to do something that will cause him to leave the university. Uh, and so anyway, they're, will be more in book two. Yeah. I remember that much at least. Yeah. So I mean, he's uh, going to go on other journeys, but maybe we should, that's maybe we should call it yeah. a- okay. any, any last, last final, final, last final thoughts. I find Ambrose to be insufferably boring. All right. I, yeah. That's it. That's all I got. Well, yeah. Now you know how I feel about you, Ken. Oh yeah. Well, so is your old man. I, don't, what? I got nothing. All right. So that concludes uh, the name of the wind discussions. And we will move on to Wise Man's Fear in a couple of weeks. And uh, once again, with Wise Man's Fear, it'll be a similar thing. We'll do three episodes on that. So roughly the first third of the book. I don't know exactly what the chapter is. I don't think we have a breakdown on it yet. Um, I the know we got on one that somewhere. one will be a lot longer than this one. Cause it's, a, it's a bigger book. It's hundreds of oh. chapters. <laughs> is it? Well, I'm, I'm looking at it up on the shelf. Well, it doesn't it, look that much longer page count wise. Chap- page count, no, but chapter wise, shorter chapters, shorter chapters. Okay. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, so anyway, um, we will do that. It'll be a similar thing. So hopefully you stick around for that. And Oops. if you didn't, it just means that we didn't do anything to make you. <laughs> oh, <laughs> That's our fault. Uh, okay. Thanks everybody for listening. 
go to patreon.com slash legendarium to support the show. Go to thelegendarium.reddit.com to join the conversation. Follow us on Instagram. Like us on Facebook. Uh, something on Twitter. We're on the Twitter somewhere. Um, and email us? Uh, sure. Thelegendarympodcast.gmail.com. I, I don't know. Check sometimes. I get, I, I do, I, um, I have a pipe right into my phone. So if you email me, I get it right away. Uh, I also get all the Russian emails um, in Russian. I don't know what they're saying, but uh, I, I assume it's we're huge fans of your show and uh, and we don't want to hack your website. That, that's exactly it. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. That's, okay. Plus that's why on. they also send pictures of pills and, <laughs> and things like that too. <laughs> pills, right. Right. Uh, okay, thanks everybody. We will see you next time. Bye.